When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the College Financial Aid and Career Navigation Podcast. Tom and Maria Geffers of Career and College Counselors, along with nationally recognized college financial aid expert Seth Green, teach two things. How to cut the cost of college tuition an average of $19,077 per child per year, and how to land your dream job after you graduate by choosing the right career and major. To get access to more information on how you can make the right choice, simply register at www.careercollegecounselors.com slash connect. To find out how to save an average of $19,077 per year per child on college tuition, go to www.howtofindmoneyforcollege.com. On the podcast, Tom, Maria, and Seth bring together leading experts in their fields who have experience in the college admission and career application process. They share their secrets so you can do it too. And now, here's your hosts, Tom, Maria, and Seth. Hi, I'm Maria Geffers, and... I'm Tom Geffers from Career and College Counselors. And today we are uh, talking to somebody who knows a lot about admissions. We're going to pick her brain about several different things. But the reason why we're doing this is to have a resource for parents across the country who can check in and uh, to, you know see what people are talking about in different right. subjects. Right. And the subjects of the our experts are always on colleges, careers, and financial aid. Right. So uh, with that, we're going to introduce Kate Sonnenberg of KS College Success, and she's going to answer one of the questions that has been uh, essential to all of us is, what is the most important question on your college application? So thank you so much, Kate, for uh, agreeing to be with us and uh, sitting with ourselves and our students and their parents. Thank you for being thank here. You thank you for having me. One of the first things we do is we want to introduce uh, you to our parents, tell us who you are, what you do, and then go and tell us your aha moment when you realize that this is really what you wanted to do. So I was a lawyer by training, and then for 17 years, uh, what I now call a professional volunteer, meaning that I was a stay-at-home mom, and I volunteered in my children's schools and in our community. And one of the things that I did as a volunteer was coordinate all of the interviews for my alma mater, which is Princeton University in Northern New Jersey. So I got to meet lots and lots of fantastic high school students who I personally interviewed, and I connected our alumni network and the students who were applying to Princeton in, in our area. And so when my, my own children went off to college, I was kind of at a crossroads. I knew I didn't want to go back to practicing law, but I was ready to not be a volunteer anymore. And everyone said, you know, do something that you love doing as a volunteer. So I looked at the various things that I had done as a volunteer, and that was my very favorite thing. And so I reached out to um, the admissions office at Princeton to see if there was a more formal way that I could 
get involved and work for them. And I was very lucky at that time they were hiring. Um, and so I got to spend some time in the admissions office. So that's how I came from <laughs> lawyer, professional volunteer to a college admissions office work and then my own business. So now, you know, colleges are getting back to um, in-person tours. Hopefully that will, will, that will stay. Uh, so what, what is it the first thing or the, the primary thing that you tell your, your parents and your students about uh, the college process? What is the number one thing that you kind of advise them to do? Well, the first thing I advise them to do is to try and think of it, the process itself, as an experience that's worth having and not just to focus on the outcomes. I talk about the process of applying to college as a bridge between adolescence and, and young adulthood, between living in your childhood home and going off and, and living in a college dorm or maybe even moving off campus into an apartment with friends. And I feel that if the process is empowering, that, that it's not just about where you end up, but what you learn about yourself as you are applying, that in and of itself is an important experience. And I think it launches you more successfully when you're at college because you've felt good about the process of applying to college. And so that's really one of my number one goals when I work with, with young adults, teenagers, as they embark on really what is their first adult decision? I mean, they didn't get to choose right. where they went to high school. Mm -hmm. Right. The, what, what do you think is the, the best number, the correct number for students to apply to it? You know, there's a common app now where you can do 10 schools very easily. And I think it's even up to 20 schools now. Right. What do you advise your, your students to do in, in that regard? So pre-pandemic, I felt very strongly that you did not need to apply to 12, more than 12 colleges, 10 to 12 colleges, as long as you had a balanced list. Right. Now, sometimes there are some students who are, let's say, the most um, academically talented students, and they're really shooting for what we call wild cards, these schools with a mid rate <laughs> under 10%, right, where it's just a wild card. And students in that situation might need to have one or two extra wild cards, but as long as they have a balanced list, pre-pandemic, I would say 10 to 12. Last year, because we really didn't know what was going to happen in admissions, students were applying to closer to 12 to 14. And as we saw, especially at the highly competitive colleges and universities, there was just skyrocketing numbers of, of applications and plummeting numbers of admits. And so this year, I am also advising students to go in that 12 to 14 range. We'll see how this year works out. I'd like to get it back to the 10 to 12. Mm -hmm. It's expensive to apply to college, so you don't, you know, it's $80 to $100 per application. It's not, I don't think, something that most families are excited to spend money on, <laughs> process itself. So if you can keep it to a reasonable number, that's better. And if you have a balanced list and a list that makes sense, there is simply no reason why you can't be at that 12-ish 12, 12 benchmark. Right. Well, as you mentioned, um, the Ivies and the elite schools are getting inundated with applications. You know, right. I'm seeing 30 to 40% increase over last year. And I guess a lot of that is due to the test optional. They figure, well, there's no test. Let me try it. What the heck? You right. know? So uh, do you think that's going to continue or do you think the test optional will continue as well? So I think test optional is here to stay. And I think that that's I'm possibly not at, at the most elite schools. I, I, I will be curious to see, for example, what Princeton does after this year. Um, there are colleges and universities that have historically paid more attention to, to testing, but I don't actually think that it's the most valuable part of the application. In 80% of students, 
there is really no discrepancy between your academic record, meaning your performance in, in the classes that you took at school and how you perform on standardized tests. The 20% where there is that discrepancy, um, there's a small group where they test higher than their academic performance, and that tends to be actually white boys of privilege with college-educated moms. <laughs> a group that doesn't, that has the opposite, where their academic performance is, is better than their test scores, tend to be um, underrepresented minorities. And I don't love the idea of these tests being gatekeeping against a group of students that I feel very strongly should have access to mm -hmm. colleges. So I I don't really think that they're necessary. I think that they can have some probative value, mm -hmm. but I would like um, to see a world where at least it's test optional. I don't think we're going to get to test blind in the next mm -hmm. five years, mm -hmm. but test optional, where if it helps your application, great, submit it, but where if it doesn't, um, and it also will reduce the anxiety and stress. I mean, you know, kids, this has been a tough 18 uh, months. These, uh, these kids are stressed, and this is not going away whenever the pandemic actually ends. And if we can re remove one source of stress in their lives, I'm for that. Okay, right. maybe you could explain, because some of our parents, what's the difference between test optional and test blind? You know, we need to know that just in case yeah. some of our parents don't know what it is. So test blind means the colleges are absolutely not going to look at test scores. You can submit them, you can jump through hoops and say, please look, please look, please look, and they're not going to look at them. And right now, the largest college system in the United States, which is the University of California, so that's UCLA, Berkeley, mm -hmm. UC Santa Barbara, UC San Diego, they are test blind. They were test blind last year, and they will be test blind again this year. Test optional means that you can submit the scores, Oncologists will look at them. There's not a one-size-fits-all answer about whether you should submit your test scores. It really depends on your academic profile. It depends on your non-academic profile. It depends on where you're applying to college. But if it doesn't help you, then you don't. And I like to believe, and I, I know admissions officers because I worked with them, they are real people and they're not out to get kids. They're out to help kids. And I believe them when they say that they're going to use the test optional if you to help. So if the test scores help you, submit them. But if they don't, they're not going to hold it against you and think right. that, oh my gosh, you must you know have terrible scores and, and really that you're, you know, you didn't really do the work that you did in high school. They're, they're not doing that. Okay. Do you think the uh, the importance of essays has risen because of the test? I mean, it seems that's the only way you can kind of get your attention, get your application to the top of the pile. <laughs> well, I think that the essays were always important. And yes, I think they probably have. I think everything in the absence of tests has a little bit more importance than it used to have because you're just taking, you just think of it as a pie. So if you're taking, you know, if you're cutting the pie differently, you still have to have a whole pie. So everything is going to be a little bit more important. I don't think that, I think this is a common expression that admissions officers use, a great essay is not going to raise the dead and a bad essay <laughs> is not going to sink, you know, the brilliant. But I think it's a very important um, part of the application. It is really the one thing that the student can control. And, and there are essays that stand out in my mind. There are um, expressions that were just sort of lyrical and, and beautifully written that, you know, that I read five or six years ago that were so powerful that they, they stick with you. So that kind of essay can move the needle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, now I'm going to get into a little bit of the uh, <clears throat> nuts and bolts here and kind of 
knock on the door of the admissions office and see what we can find out about things that people wonder about and they think they know, but they don't really know. So you were once an application reader in, in yeah. Princeton University. I know things change from year to year. And, uh, but what, you know, what can you tell us about the, the application process behind closed doors? Not giving too much information, but just generally. Right. So, so one thing I would, would say to students is think very carefully about who you ask to write your letter of recommendation because that really matters. And the more information that you can provide to the teacher you choose, the stronger their letter is going to be. Right. And strong teacher recommendations make a very, very big difference. So that's one thing that I really, and I work with the students who I work with, whether they're my paying clients or my pro bono clients, thinking carefully about who you're choosing. Now, some colleges are very specific and they, they are very clear. You have to have a teacher who taught you in junior year, or you must have one teacher from math science and one teacher from non-STEM. But unless you are applying to a college with that very, very specific requirement, I don't care if the teacher taught you in 10th grade. I don't care if it's two teachers. I wouldn't say two math teachers, but if it's a math and science teacher or an English foreign language or social studies teacher, I, I don't care about that. I think you've picked the teachers who know you best and who can write authentic, powerful letters about you. The other thing that's important is that the guidance counselor sends a letter. And that letter also really is the overview sort of like, like the FIS guide to the application process. It provides the overview of, of the entire application. So especially for students who are in larger public high schools, it is really important to get to know your guidance counselor early and often. I tell all of my students who are in these larger public schools, starting in ninth or 10th grade, just go knock on the door, say hi. It doesn't have to be about something, you know, life, shattering or you know it's just get to know them because those things really matter and then the other right. thing i would say is which i said before make sure you have a balanced list there are so many great colleges in this country you do not have to apply to the 50 or 100 that everyone's heard of right well you mentioned earlier that you still remember some great essays that you uh, read in the past have you i'm sure you have uh, some memories of some terrible applications that made you cringe that you that you saw not to get you know in general terms what, what is the, the the worst thing that someone can do on an application i think be sloppy so not have things that make sense so for example um in the activity section if you have indicated an activity and then in another part of the application it either is in somehow contradictory, whether it's the dates or the place. So that that's can be, for example, if you did a summer program and in the section that asks about where if you've done any kind of summer programs, you say you did it in the summer of 2020. And then in your activity section, it's the summer of 2021. And that may not seem like a big deal, but as a reader of the applications, we have to understand your story. And we don't have a lot of time to do that. So if we're wasting our time on trying to figure out your story because of sloppiness on your end, that that's a, a lost opportunity for the student to get across who they are. So right. you need to really, and this, you know, I guess this is partly 
the lawyer in me that, you know, I, even though I am an ex-lawyer, you're, you kind of never get to truly be an ex-lawyer. You have to dot every I and cross every T. This is an important thing. So you do it right. And, and sometimes it's not. Well, that's kind of leading up to my next question. You know, you are a lawyer, as you just said, for many yeah. years. And what, what, what are some of those skills that you, you know, you brought to this process that uh, helps you in this uh, college search? Right. So it's interesting because I was a litigator and what a litigator does, that's the kind of lawyer who goes to you know, trial or, or tries to um, argue to a court why one side should win. And when you do that, um, you're looking at facts, all kinds of different facts, and you're looking at the law and you're trying to put it together to make your argument why your client should win. And in a way, that's kind of what you're doing when you're putting together a college application. A lot of people use the, the analogy of a jigsaw puzzle, and that's not my favorite analogy because that kind of suggests that everything fits together perfectly, and that's just not really the human experience. So right. I always talk to kids about um, a Rube Goldberg machine, which is this <laughs> contraption that you know you put the, the tennis ball in or the golf ball, and it goes through these seemingly disconnected and unconnected things, but they all, one, one triggers the next, triggers the next. And that's what I think of the application process like. So I think I bring my skills of, of looking at different facts and different situations and helping kids put it together, not to, to, not to be branded, because I don't believe that you're branding, but to really explain all the different parts of you that work together. So that's what I think was useful about all those years of law school <laughs> and all those years of litigation. Well, you know, as uh, you know, as a former educator, retired, um, no education is lost. Nothing is ever not used. So, right. and I think it's important that we all understand that you may start off in point A, like you did as a lawyer, and yes. then move on and actually journey and become something different, that we don't have to stay in the same uh, career and uh, major, if you will, you right. know, and, and we, because we change, we change. Right. Well, and I think that's excellent. So I'm sure you that. know the statistic, but 80% of students change their major. Right. So I, I obviously talk with students about what they want to learn, but I don't focus as much as some people may on a specific program. Now, if you're an engineer or a nurse, okay, obviously. But what I really try to get the students to understand is you're going to school, college to learn how to think. And if you can think and you can write effectively and you can communicate orally, it doesn't matter if you were an English major or a biology major, you can still go to law school or medical school or go out and work and be really effective in your job as long as you know how to, to think. So that, yes, I mean, those, those skills are, that's what it's about. Right. And it's taking what you learned and what you know. And I love how you uh, are looking at the student holistically. And that's how you, as you were saying, as a reader of applications, you looked at the student holistically. Um, and the problem was then if there was some disconnect, you, it took more time. And I think that's important that our parents and our students realize they have a very small door to Correct. make an impression on the readers of the applications. And so that you said, take your time and, and really 
create a polished application. You know, that's so important in, in our line of work. And I thought it was kind of fun, we had talked about it a little bit before, is no one can guarantee that you're going to get into the college of your dream. And could you expand on that a little bit, uh, Kate? I think that's important for parents to know that. So there are two things that I would I, I say, actually, and one of, you reminded me of one of them with what you just said. The first thing I say to, to, to parents is that the college admissions process in the United States, it's not linear. You cannot put in certain variables and expect a known outcome. The only thing that is predictable is that it is unpredictable. But the other thing that you reminded me about when you said, no, you know, you don't know if you're going to get into your dream school, is that I always tell my students, dream school is a four-letter word. We do not say dream school because there's not just one dream school. Right. There are student experiences. And some, some students want a small, intimate liberal arts college where they're going to know most of, or not, perhaps all of their classmates, depending on how you know, large the school is. But some of them are 1,600 students. That's the size sometimes of a, of a high school class. Right. Some people want a, a large rah-rah, you know, sports-oriented school. There are schools of both of those kinds with all different admissions probabilities. So what I try to do when I'm working with a student is help them craft a list. I, I call it a list with vertical integrity. So I don't care what the admissions probabilities are. I want a balance of those. But the student experience is going to be fundamentally the same. And then we don't have to be upset if we don't get into the one that's the hardest with the 5% admit right. rate. Because the one with a more appropriate admit rate is going to fundamentally be a similar kind of experience. Right. So that's how I approach it. And you have to know that, you know, uh, as students and, and as, as an educator myself, not every school is good for every student. And mm -hmm. not you have to really go in and um, really do the tour, which brings me to a question is a lot of uh, a lot of schools are opening up now and letting uh, students and parents in. What do you think about that experience for our students? So I think it's wonderful if you are able to go and visit a campus and really see it in action, get the just those little subtle things that you don't really get um, on a computer screen. Right, right. I will say that even before the pandemic, there were always kids who were not able to visit colleges. They lived too far away, finances made it impossible, schedules made it impossible. So I'm really glad that one of the silver linings of the pandemic is that colleges really have improved their virtual offerings so that those students who really are not going to get to go to campuses regardless of the pandemic, are, are going to have better information than they had pre-pandemic. But yes, if you can visit a college campus, and, and I actually like my students to visit a few colleges before they even start to build a college list, mm -hmm. because they don't really know what college is. So I say, go look at, in, you know, don't drive halfway across the country. Mm -hmm. Go where you are. Try to look at a small college. Try to look at a suburban college. Try to look at a big college. Try to look at an urban college. Just get a feel for what they're like. And then you're just more informed right. when you're actually really doing your research. But right. I am happy, obviously, that that the students are hopefully going to be able to. I mean, I'm a little bit worried about what the fall is going to look like, but hopefully be able to visit colleges right. because it was very tough for this you know, graduating. That was terrible for terrible. those last two graduating classes. Just terrible. terrible. 
Uh, and hopefully, you know, we are kind of put the worst behind us and students will be able to go back, you know, to yes. some kind of normalcy. I, well, I got a button here for a question that's been bothering me for a while. Sorry. <laughs> not, not this uh, interview. Not you, Kate, not you, but, Kate. <laughs> but, but, the, but the business in general, you know, uh, schools, I don't know how many applications, uh, uh, you know, your schools are, are getting or Princeton has gotten in the past, but schools like Penn State, they, they get like 90,000 applications. Yeah. How does the... <laughs> How does the the people making this decision look at that many? If in fact they do, and you know, how does that process work where you can cut through and, and find out who you need? So I I can't speak to the the Penn States because they may be using some gatekeeping and thresholding that that we did not use right. um, at Princeton. And at Princeton, every application was in fact read by two people, not by computers, wow. and not by bots, wow. but by people. Okay. At least, yeah. At least, and and usually, if you were going to be admitted, it could have been you know three more. Um, but I will say that I, I really do believe. I mean, I know, for example, I've heard directly from the UCLA um, admissions people, and, and they had over a hundred thousand applications last year. They're reading them. Really? They hire a big staff, and we get trained. You know, we 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 on the inside. When we're on the inside, we know what the the university's institutional priorities are, so that can help uh, be a sorting mechanism. We know that there are certain majors that you know need students, don't need students. So there are tricks on the inside. But I I I know that some of the larger um, flagship public institutions will admit. You know, if you have certain thresholds of of um, grades and GP and test scores and so forth and for example, the University of Georgia have requiring test scores now, and I suspect that is to help alleviate some of the pressure that they had when they didn't have the test scores. And I'm sure that there is also a threshold below which you are not going to mm -hmm. um, be admitted. But I think that you hire a good staff and you train them well. Right. Good. Um, what was your biggest challenge, um, whether, uh, you know, in your in your uh, counseling right now, in your college success, what do you feel is your biggest challenge going through, like you said, we've been through the pandemic, we've been out and in, and we've had to trans, you know, really uh, as college uh, preparatory people, we had to change as well. Right, right. What was your biggest challenge? So I like being in the same room with students and <laughs> that, that was not, you know, that was not how I had imagined I would be spending this time. And I still would like to be in the same room as students. What's happened for me is that now all of my students are now local. In my original, you know, vision of how I was going to be a, a college consultant, I imagined it would be in my town or nearby towns and people would come to my office and, and we would work together. And now I have students who are never coming to my office, regardless <laughs> of whether there's a pandemic, <laughs> they're in California. So it's not happening. So that was an adjustment, but I am looking forward to being in person um, as, as soon as I can. My husband is a hospital-based physician and he is not um, eager for me to, he, he just feels like we need to see what's happening with the Delta variant. But that is my goal for at least this spring. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but that, so, the, so the technology was an adjustment. And, and then, you know, separate and apart from, from that part of, of what was a challenge, the challenge is always to, to get students to, to really believe 
that that there's no strategy and gamesmanship involved, but that when they really are themselves, they are going to come across um, in the best possible light. So right now, some of my students are still writing their personal statement. And that is, you know, that's a, a hard piece of writing. It's different than what they've done in English class. There's a, there are a lot of, you know, they feel it's a high stakes essay and they've got to get it right. But sometimes you'll have see students say, well, I'm going to say this because it looks good for college. And I say, you know what? It, it looks good for college. It comes across like that. And then it doesn't really work. So that's right. getting kids to really be authentic. And, and I always say, write how you speak. So when I see mm -hmm. words, like I, I had a student and she was, it's a, it turns out to be a beautiful essay, but she was talking about her house being filled with flowers. And she said, my house was ridden with flowers. And I said, wrote that. So do you say that? You know, you don't <laughs> speak that way, don't write that way. This is a right. conversation. Right. So that's the important thing is to get the kids to sort of relax and, and right. be, be, be themselves. And, and I, I know it sounds like a cliche, but it really is true that you can tell when an application just is stiff and it very rarely moves the needle. Um, well, how do you stay um, abreast of all the changes? Because I know, you know, Tom and I are always looking. How do you stay in touch with what's going on in our, in our field? So every morning I read the Chronicle of Higher Education and Inside Higher Ed. I'm also active in the Independent Educational Consultants Association, so I attend all of the um, conferences. And of course, they just decided that the, the um, November conference that was supposed to be in, in Tampa is going to be virtual again. But you know what? The great thing about virtual is you can attend more breakout sessions because they're recorded. And I um, visit colleges. Now, of course, that has not been easy to do in the last year, and the IECA has been phenomenal about bringing admissions officers to us. But there's a lot of travel in, in this job. And, and that's why I know that being on a campus and seeing the vibe is different than seeing it through a computer screen. But visiting colleges, talking to colleagues, reading, reading, reading. There are some you know great books that are out. Um, I'm reading um, this one right now, Game On. Um, I, I just always have books. And um, <laughs> We can yeah. see from your background there. Yeah, yeah. we can yeah. see. Yeah. Like right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was, um, I'm reading this one also. This is an older book, but it's um, the imperative of integration because I'm very interested and concerned about um, equity and access in higher ed. And so that's not really about getting into college per right. se, but it's about higher education. And you need to know that too, because mm -hmm. you need to know what's going on right. in, the, in the academia. In their, in their culture. Yeah. We need to be able to speak the language and to identify. So we well, kind of have our feet in two two worlds. And I will be quiet now. <laughs> no. Well, before we close, um, I want to thank you for all of the great information that you shared with us and our, our, our listeners. And is there, if someone wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? So my website is kscollegesuccess.com. And my email is kate at kscollegesuccess.com. So that's probably the easiest way. And I'm always happy to talk to anybody and, and give them, you know, I, I sort of give a 30-minute talk about mm -hmm. strategy talk on, on what it means to apply to college and how to do it in a way that keeps everybody happy and healthy and loving each other. 
Well, you are certainly a fountain of information. And yes. thanks again. And thank you, thank everybody, you. for joining us today. Yes. And we will see you next week. And thanks again, Kate. I appreciate everything. Thank you so much. Take care. So long. Bye-bye.